You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Right where we are. If you're watching online and you're able, just maybe... Get from where you're sitting and just kneel in your living room. If you're here and you need to sit in the weight of his presence or come to a knee or come forward, I just, I just feel like God wants to meet with us. The Father has been calling our name, standing at the door of our church and knocking. So often we lock him out. We just hear him knocking. Let's just give him permission to come and have his way this morning. Open our hearts. Whatever sin is in your life that the Lord is convicting you of or reminding you of, all you have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. Cleanse me. Make me white as snow. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. But since you gave it freely on the cross, I receive it. And friends, I'm just going to step away for a minute. And God just wants to step in and minister to you. The thing that delights the father's heart more than anything is when his children give him permission to be Lord, to have control 
and to meet with his child. One of the greatest grievances to the father is when his children hold back. One of the greatest things that delights the father's heart is when his children come and say, Daddy, just more of you. I can't do this life without you. I need you, good Daddy. There's nothing more than I want in this world than you and your heart to know you and be known by you. That is the most pleasing fragrance to the Father's nostrils. Something that just breaks Daddy's heart is when his children say, I'm okay with just a drip. I'm okay with just Sunday. I'm okay with Jesus on the shelf and just get him when I need him. It's time to stop holding back. And we need to let the things that nailed Jesus to the cross no longer have first place in our lives. Mm, That's a word for somebody this morning. It is time God is calling you to go deeper, to come closer, to be transformed into his likeness moment by moment. But that requires you to get rid of the things that nailed Jesus to the cross that are still first place in your life. And so, Lord, we come because of your grace. But something about your grace, undeserved favor, is that it's grace where it doesn't desire for us to stay where we are, but to give us a measure of love and strength and encouragement to grow more like you, Jesus. Thank you for ministering to hearts this morning. God, you're teaching us, you're teaching me. Sometimes it's just best to step aside. I just sense the Lord, the Father, he's he's wanting someone to know that he weeps over you in such love. And he weeps in love because you don't understand how much he loves you. You just, you don't understand. He loves you. He's not just this God of the universe that is so distant and only can be found in the pages of your Bible. He's this God with us. He wants to be close to you. He wants to bless you. He wants his purposes and plans for your life to come to fruition. But he's calling you to come home. Be what he has designed you to be. And I said this last week and I'll say it again. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. Are you slowing your life down and prioritizing your life to behold God's face? 
So Lord, just bless this time right now. Would you speak to our hearts? Make this message your message. Anything that is not of you, I pray you would silence it from my mouth. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm just gonna continue. I'm just gonna continue in this thought real quick just to share what the Lord's putting on my heart. Um, I'm Phil Nelson, by the way, lead pastor here. Thank you, Brent and Tiffany, but thank you, Brent, for once again teaching us, preaching and sharing your heart. We've been speaking of this word revival. We're going to do a series this summer on revival, by the way, of what it looks like and what God is calling us in this season as his church. We're talking about revival, and I just want to break that word apart, kind of just dissect it. And it really is just spiritual renewal. Revival is not necessarily a tent gathering. Revival is not necessarily evangelism uh, in a tent where lost people come to Christ. And I believe that that can be a byproduct and that can be a result of revival. But revival as defined in the Old Testament is a spiritual fanning of a flame that is already lit. The children of Israel, chosen by God. And so often, God had to come and light, not light, but fan the light that he had placed in his children. And now that Jesus has brought the new covenant of grace and the kingdom of God, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord and we allow him to come and take over, something happens spiritually where the dead in us, the sin that was paid for on the cross, We're not bound to that anymore. That's not Lord of our lives. The new creation that Jesus has made us by the power of the Holy Spirit is now our driving force. And we become Christ's light to the earth. He says, I am the light of the world. You are the light. Be the light. Go be the light. And so revival is simply this, spiritual renewal within God's people a fanning of his flame that he lit into you at the moment of birth when you were reborn in Christ. And God's doing something special in these days. We know it's the last days. Why? Because the Bible says so. When Jesus ascended to the, the heavens after he resurrected and he gave the church the great commission to go make disciples. He did not say, go have Sunday church. He said, go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he left, that marked the last days. So I can tell you that we are closer to the end days than we were yesterday. It could be a thousand years from now. A thousand years is like one day to the Lord. It could be a thousand seconds from now. We don't know. But we are further in the last days than we were last year. 
And the word of God says in the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon his children. And he comes just like we have seen in the history of America. He comes in waves of revival to fan his church, to bring them alive. How many know that the hope for America is the church? And the church needs to wake up. And the only way we wake up is through revival. God's presence is strong here, guys. And you know why? It's because we've asked him and we've sought his face. And so I want to end with this before I begin our toxic message. Revival is all about seeking the Lord's face. And that looks like three things. And we have this revival team, this intercessory team that have been praying for months now for God to just dwell here and be with his people and to do what only he can do in the lives who come through these doors. And these are the three things we do and we ask. Number one, God, we want to seek your face. Nothing else will do. We want to seek your face and you alone. We're not going to necessarily seek your miracles, although we know they will come when we seek your face. We're not going to seek just attendance numbers, although we know that people will be drawn. When people start to seek the Lord's face, they change, and their lives reflect God's glory. We want to seek your face, God. This isn't religion anymore. It's a relationship, and in order to inhabit God, we need to seek his face. Second, God, we want to behold your glory. It's a dangerous prayer because in order to behold his glory, you need to be empty and clean. So that means God's going to bring some stuff up in your life that aren't of him and nor pleasing to him. And so it takes a process of emptying ourselves. Search my heart, oh God. Show me any grievous way in my heart to you. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Clean Clean spirit, cleanse me, God. To behold God's glory requires purity. To have a life of purity requires Jesus' blood shedding and covering your life. And the third thing is, is God, would you meet with us? Press in. Meet with us. Change us for your glory. So friends, we're praying for revival. We're praying for spiritual renewal. And as we go forward in the summer, we're gonna talk more and more what that looks like. So now let's just jump in to another part in our toxic series. And really we're just focusing, friends, we're focusing on resolving God's conflict, excuse me, resolving conflict God's way. We all have conflict. You can't run away from it. It will always come. If you're not in conflict right now, rejoice and then prepare yourself because it's coming. Doesn't have to be a bad thing. Conflict in God's eyes, he's a God of redemption. He loves conflict because of the end result that can happen from it. But so often churches, and I'm speaking to Christians and churches a lot through this message. There is a different, I don't know if you know this, but there's a different standard for Christians than there is for those who are unbelieving and don't have any 
understanding of the ways of God. There's a different standard. No, we don't just accept worldly lifestyles, but we need to understand that they don't know God. They don't know him. And so the first point is we need to lead them to this Jesus who loves them. Then we'll clean them up and meet with them and transform them. So often we try to clean them up first before we bring them to Jesus. Why? I don't get it. You weren't clean when you met Jesus. Okay, I gotta stay focused today. Thanks. Is God speaking to you this morning? He is to me. And so we need to We need to get pretty focused on God's heart for his church. And sadly, let me just ask you this. I asked this first service. How many, all of us here, and you can participate online, but just do me a favor and literally look around you, look around you. It's okay to look at other people in church. It's okay. They're here too for the same reason you are. Now, out of the people gathered here, what percentage would you say have been hurt or wounded by the church in any form or fashion at any time of their lives? What percentage would you say? Shout it out. 90, 100. Can I get a 50? Below 50? Above 50? What about above 75? Guys, this is why we need to begin teaching and understanding the destructive power of unresolved conflict in people's lives, especially the church. You see, the church has always been designed to lead culture. Sadly, in the last couple hundred years, we see this not just in America, we see this across the globe. The culture drives the church. It's supposed to be the opposite. And so we need to wake up as a church of how we relate with others so that we could begin to change the culture out there. Sadly, people don't want anything to do with the church because we look just like the world and how we deal with conflict. I read a uh, quote, I don't know how true it is, but they said Christians are the most hateful and divisive people, Christians. Most judgmental, conflict-ridden people. That's not okay. That's not okay. So this is gonna be a hard message, not just for you, but for me. I shared it for service. I'm a work in progress. And I grew up a peacemaker which God has wired me as a peacemaker. That's why I'm a shepherd of a church. However, my default mechanism isn't always godly. It is whatever it takes to have peace, I will do. And that's not always healthy. And so I've been a part of a lot of divisive toxicity in my life, and I repent of that. And I'm growing And uh, I just feel like this is a timely message for us as a church as we approach and continue to see what God does in this time of renewal. 
this one area of conflict, unresolved conflict and division will stunt revival so fast. So fast. And so we want to prevent that. And so we're going to teach on that. I'd like for you to open your Bibles if you have them with you or your phone. There are going to be some things, by the way, that I'm going to say really fast. There's some questions that I leave you with. Take screenshots, write them down. But I promise you, you won't remember them all. But these are so key to handling and resolving conflict God's way. So this verse in 1 Corinthians, let's go there. In chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, God, just continue to keep our hearts open and in tune with you. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be one mind united in thought and purpose. I love how the Apostle Paul starts this letter, as, or as he does many other times, like in Romans 12. He uses the word appeal, not just saying I ask, but he's saying, look, this is so important. I'll get on my knees and strongly urge you to listen and take heed. And if that didn't speak enough of the Apostle Paul's reputation and his life transformation from killing Christians to becoming a Christian, being saved, meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road, being filled a couple days later with the Holy Spirit, and then taking years to, to really learn, not from any other man, but from the Holy Spirit. And then he steps into ministry, and signs and wonders in the name of Jesus Christ is done, and disciples are made, and thousands upon thousands are added into the kingdom. That would speak for itself, but he goes to the next distance to say, if that doesn't work, by the authority of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's like a stamp that you can use, right? And he says, this is that important. Live in harmony with one another. Let there be no division amongst you and your spiritual family members. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Would you agree with me, friends, that the church in America today seems to have very little authority? Sadly, a lot of churches, they could just disappear tomorrow and a lot of people wouldn't notice. There's one main cause to the lack of authority churches are experiencing, and that's disunity. When a body, a spiritual family, comes together as one mind, one heart, one spirit, united in one purpose, something powerful happens. It means the authority that Christ has given us comes upon us and says, this is the real deal. 
And sadly, there's so many churches that are living in such conflict with one another. And may that not be so with us. There's gonna be some steps today that I'm gonna give us to hopefully help prevent that and prepare the way. But just ask yourself this question. How passionate am I about the unity of the church? What, what would I give to see that happen? Would I fight for unity in the church body like I fight people or my stance on social media? I'm asking these questions too. Would I uphold harmony and do whatever it takes to bring unity to the body as I do in fighting for my stance on the mask mandate? Am I as passionate about unity in the church as I am a whether or not I should wear a mask in public or not? I am. Because the apostle Paul says this is more important than pretty much any other mandate. Because this is what unbelievers will measure and judge the church of Jesus Christ by. And do I support and fight for the unity like I do for my kids' sports games? And I say that from a personal conviction because my seven-year-old was in soccer and I didn't think I was gonna be one of those dads. I can't keep my mouth shut, friends. I'm that dad. We had a tournament yesterday. And we had to have someone from the board come to the sidelines of all the parents and say, hey, parents, no side coaching allowed. You need to keep your mouth shut. That was me. (laughs) Am I as passionate about the unity of believers as I am about a goal for a seventh grader or seventh grade, not seventh grade, seven-year-old soccer team? Yeah, that hit me hard. But it's true, it's true. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna talk about what it really looks, let's talk about the floor, okay? Let's get down to the floor. We have to realize where our conflict comes from and how to resolve it. Conflict in of itself doesn't have to be bad. It can be very good. And if you listen to testimonies of how God restored people, a lot of times they're stronger because of it. So I wanna give you today the process of what Jesus teaches us on resolving conflict. Then we're gonna talk about having the godly or Christ-centered perspective before we address conflict. And then I'd like to talk about the problem that is spreading in poison and toxicity in the church called gossip. Running our mouths, causing division. So this is an exciting message. (laughs) 
So let's just get started. Matthew 18. We're going to look at Matthew 18, and then we're going to go directly to Matthew 5. Matthew 18. This is Jesus teaching us of how to resolve conflict. And I will clarify a few things when we're we're done. If another believer, can you say a believer, sins against you, can fit in any list of the length of sins in your life, sins against you, go privately. Say, go privately. That's our first mistake. We go to side groups and social groups and texts and all this stuff, and we spread it out to where it becomes a problem when probably it was your problem to deal with, right? Go privately and point out the offense. And there's ways to do that. And by the way, I'm just gonna say it now. Come next week. Don't miss next week. We are going to flesh out of what this process looks like. How do you confront somebody? who doesn't want to be confronted? How do you confront your spouse with an issue that you know is going to blow up in your face? How do you communicate in resolving conflict? Don't miss next week. If you're on vacation, watch in, or you can always, always listen or watch online at any time. The beauty of technology. If that other person that you went privately to listens and confesses, you have won that person back. Meaning, my brother Tim comes to me and says, hey, Phil, can we talk? I just want to give you a heads up. I need to share something that um, I just, I'm taking wrong, and I I want you to listen. Brother, when we were talking last time, you said something about my family, and I think I'm taking it wrong. This never happened. I'm making it up, by the way. It may be me, and I may be assuming and I'm taking it wrong, but when you said that, I was really actually hurt and a bit angry. And I just want you to know that um, I do forgive you. I, I just, can we talk about this? And if I listen, I said, brother, I never intended to, to mean anything by that. And I'm so sorry I hurt you. Will you forgive me? Done. Done. We drop it, we move on, and we trust each other even more. That it can be that easy, friends. It can be that easy. But our flesh always gets in the way. We bring a defensive spirit, we bring a prideful heart, and we point the fingers and we make offense and accusation. We're gonna talk about that next week. So if one listens and, and, and confesses, you've won that person back, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and then go back again. What? You don't know what that person said. Go back again with a support system, some witnesses. Leave your weapons at home. I'm not talking physical. <laughs> Leave your defenses at home and go pursue in peace. So that everything may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Now, there is one rule here that I'm gonna clarify in a minute. This is talking to believers. Don't bring your personal stuff to the church where you can deal with it through prayer and in a godly manner. This is church 
relationships, family of God stuff. Now, it's not that the leadership won't be open to help you process, and we'll talk about that later, but it's not our responsibility, and I'm not trying to pass the buck to anyone. It's not our responsibility necessarily to get in the middle of your personal affairs that don't involve the church, okay? Moving on. If that person still refuses, take the case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. That's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus isn't saying is just easily, if you don't agree with someone, kick them out of the church. What he's saying is if they will not reconcile and they will not do what it takes to ask for forgiveness and to be in harmony with one another, you need to ask them not to be a part of what God is doing here and say, you either need to get help and you need to grow, or you need to find another church that you can connect with. But here's the problem. They, everyone who leaves a church, when they don't resolve conflict, they will take it to the next church and the next church and the next church. So we have to be very careful of that. And how we deal with that has to be really built on wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing, that Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, it says chapter four on the screen, but it's chapter five. So if you're following with me, it's chapter five, verses 23 to 24. The first passage in Matthew 18 that we saw is when someone sins against you. You're the victim, they're the offender. This one is where you're the offender. You've hurt somebody or sinned against them, or you are not right with that person. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, if you're at church and worshiping and ready to take communion or give uh, online or at the giving stations, giving a part of your worship or you're offering service to God, it says stop right there when you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Stop. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar and go and be reconciled as much as it depends on you to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. This shows that God's heart is for unity. He does not want sacrifice that is built on or harboring division. It's not sacrifice to him. It's actually like offering poison. Say, accept this. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say a couple things about these situations, whether you're the offender or you're the offended. Number one, Jesus mentions that this is a sin issue, okay? So really, he's talking about the process of dealing with someone's sin against you or your sin against someone else. Can we just admit and just be honest that sometimes conflict isn't about sin? It might be a preference. It may be a decision that was made. It may be a style. You come to church and you don't like the songs that you're uh, you're, you're hearing and you don't like the way the preacher preaches and you've got issues about all of that, um, you need to work through that. It doesn't have to be a sin issue, but you need to work through it. Either you need to get over it, you need to work through it, or you need to move on, right? Let's just be honest with that. So there are some situations that aren't sin-based or sin-driven. There were just maybe, hey, I'm just... Something's not right here. I'm awkward when I'm around you. I don't know. Did I do anything to offend you? Did I do anything that just 
is giving a wrong perception of me. And so it doesn't always have to be a sin issue. There's disagreement, different perceptions. Look at Paul and Barnabas. It wasn't a sin issue. They divided ministry because of, 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 of John Mark. But he wasn't necessarily living in sin that we don't know, that we're aware of. There was just differences and preferences, and so they went their separate ways. But God always has the last say. Guess who Paul talks about later on in his ministry? John Mark. And so it doesn't always have to be a sin issue. It can be a work style that your coworker has that just rubs you the wrong way. And let's just be honest, it can be conflict that maybe isn't driven by sin, but it's within our marriage. We have conflict in our marriage that we just don't work out. Whether or not the toothpaste cap is always on when it should be, or the toilet paper keeps flipping the other direction, right? Or dinner time should be at six or it should be at seven. I mean, there's, there's preferences and there's just styles and personalities that we all deal with within our marriages that need to be worked out. And I believe we can all fo follow Jesus's process and guidelines for this. It doesn't have to be just when someone sins against you or you sin against them. Now, a lot of times in this process, we can deal with conflict and go privately, like I said, and deal with it very quickly and very smoothly. There's gonna be times when you're gonna need to go through the whole gamut of the process that is stressful, intense, and it doesn't feel good. But you are called to peace and unity, and so you need to do as far as it is up to you, you need to pursue Jesus's guidelines for reconciliation. If at all possible, Conflict within the church, and I would say other relationships goes with this, should never be handled over social media. Never. Tell me once where it was handled properly for you and led you closer in reconciliation. Text. We live in a world where we're busy, 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 busy. We hardly see each other. And I understand a text says, hey, we've got an issue. We need to talk. It shouldn't go any further than that. And I understand that, you know, sometimes it's just not possible to meet face to face. A phone call would be the next good thing, not best thing, the next good thing. And it does happen sometimes. But still through social media, a device, texting, and even a phone, you can misread the person's intent, tone, and motives. I will tell you this. I have tried the text route. It has never worked out for me. It's always led to more problems. We're going to talk about how we go about this. So I want to I want to literally leave this process details and logistics to next week. But this process now needs to be fleshed out in how we handle it. The healthy way is to get the right perspective. That's number 2. Approaching each situation with a godly perspective. That is required of any Christian. That is your requirement when conflict comes. You are to approach it 
with a godly perspective. If you do not, you are living in sin. James 4 says this, that if you know what you should do and you don't do it, it is sin. We always focus on don't do the bad stuff. It's no, if God tells you you need to do life this way and you refuse to do it, you are living in sin. How often do you hear sermons about this? We usually hear about the major sins that are in the culture of that day. Murder, sexual immorality, right? Racism and hate, and abortion. All of those require our focus as a church to represent God's heart and to really press in and be a difference there. But Jesus is saying, you need to focus on gossip, division, unresolved conflict like you do abortion, homosexuality, sexual immorality across the board. This is as important because it's sin. We need to deal with it. And it is toxic to the body of Christ. Let that sink in. Perspective. Now the best thing that you can do, and I failed so much at this. And I actually got an executive professional coach to help me through this. Counseling's not a bad thing. Sometimes you can't do it on your own. I would get so emotionally charged about something that happens and out of my peacemaker, loving, God-serving, honoring heart, I would try to bring peace to it immediately. How many of you know that was really silly, stupid? Yeah. You need to give yourself space to reflect. Because here's the thing, your feelings aren't right or wrong. What you're feeling in the moment is not right or wrong. It's what you do with those feelings that become right or wrong. Brett Rush, our special guest last week, he said decisions or choices lead, feelings follow. And a lot of times when you have emotionally charged feelings, uh, you're processing something, you're hurt, you're offended, you're angry. You need time to simmer, cool down, and get God's perspective on it. It is not healthy and it will not turn out in a form of unity if you try to handle it in your own flesh. I'm working on this. We need to slow down and ask some questions that will help us seek the heart of God. Let's look at these questions. Write these down, take screenshots, but keep these with you. I promise you next time you have conflict and you're ready to address it in your flesh, these will help. Number one, is this matter truly as big and important as it feels or seems right now? I can't tell you how many times I wanted to just send a text or reply to an email or comment to a Facebook post. And I'm so glad I waited. Lauren always tells me, Phil, always take the path of least regret. Least regret. What mess do you want to clean up in your wake? (laughs) Is this matter truly as big as it feels or do I need to forgive and just move on? Get over myself and my feelings. 
and pray about it. Number two. Oh, man. Is it really that far in the clock? Gosh. Um, Am I able to truly let it go or is it causing a wedge or awkwardness? So you're trying to let it go. You forgive and move on, but you're awake half the night thinking about the person. And when you ever think about the person, anxiety starts to rise and pain and feelings. That is a warning sign on the dashboard of your life that something's not right. You're probably not going to be able to move on until you deal with it. Another question to ask while you're processing. Am I... There should be no or there. Am I talking about that person or complaining to others? Because if I am, I'm not dealing with it properly and something is still wrong. If I'm going to the energy and to the hassle of talking about that situation and that person to others, that means I'm not reconciled. The next question to ask, have you soaked this matter in prayer? If you haven't, don't proceed. Sometimes, friends, I'll tell you, when I soak it in prayer, God deals with me and me alone and my heart heals me, transforms me, and I move on. So often, we skip the step of prayer and we wonder why things are blowing up in our face. This is so important to get the godly perspective that we need before we address conflict. So depending on your answers to that, God will guide you to let you know if something is still unresolved. And then you follow those processes, those guidelines that Jesus gave you. Part of this perspective is dealing with our heart first, asking God to search our heart because so often we think others are the problem when in reality our heart or our prideful and defensive spirit is the problem. Look at these two scriptures, and I hope this blesses you and encourages you. Psalms 139, I try to pray this often. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the pathway of everlasting life. Friends, I think if we prayed this more and more, we would find that a lot of our conflict can be resolved in prayer. Next scripture is Luke chapter six, verse 42. Jesus says, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, sin or, or something you're doing wrong, when you can't see past the log in your own eye. He calls you a hypocrite. He said, first get rid of the log in your own eye and then deal with your friend's speck in their eye. Starts with us. You see, when we, hear me, hear me, hear me. This is worth writing down. When we address conflict, in the flesh, prideful heart, defense, bitterness, accusation, and assumption. There will be no healthy spiritual results in dealing with that conflict. It will get worse. 
And a lot of times matters that have to get to the level of bringing it to the church leadership to bring resolution is usually just because we are prideful. We're making assumptions and we're making matters worse. That's usually the case in my own life. So, the remaining of our time that is trickling fast. I really wanna focus on something that the Lord has really put heavy on my heart. And it's the problem that most churches face. The problem is unnecessary division stirred through or in unacceptable and harmful ways. Backstabbing, gossip, rumors, and getting involved in situations you have no business getting involved in. And this, friends, this has convicted my heart so deeply in my own personal life. And I'm just praying it will yours too. And just know I'm walking this journey with you. The problem is unnecessary division done in an unacceptable and harmful ways. Don't be mistaken. God detests and hates anything that brings division and destruction upon God's relationships in his family. He hates it. Don't believe me? Look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. There are six things the Lord hates. And you will be surprised that some of the sins we focus so hard on aren't in here. Haughty eyes, detestable, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness who pours out lies, and finally a person who stirs up conflict within the community of God. All of those have to do with division amongst God's people. He hates it. He hates it. Here's a quote I found in the relevant magazine that I thought was pretty humbling and sobering, to be honest. As Christians, for some reason, we become experts at finding loopholes that let us run rampant with half-truths, accusations, slander, tiny negative comments, and even lies. Remember seeing that in the passage in Proverbs 16? All of these were mentioned. We take something we know or something we've been told or something we sense or assume and then we wrap it up in a Christian concern and share it often as a prayer request. <laughs> now we're stepping on toes, right? We then comfort and assure ourselves that it's not gossip, but it's a noble and good pursuit. I'm caring for the flock of Jesus. Or we take scripture out of context in Galatians. And we think that that's our right to call people out from their sin. I wanna say two things that I don't want you to forget. Number one, it is never okay as a believer of Jesus Christ 
as a member of the family of the blood-bought precious bride of Christ. It is never okay to stir division or tear someone else down, spreading rumors or gossip about another. It is never okay. Will it happen? Yes. Is it forgiven? Absolutely, in the blood of Jesus. But that still doesn't make it okay. It's not okay. Second, it is never okay for another believer to hear another person vent and complain and slander and lie about another Christian family member. And I would even say this goes for unbelievers as well. We shouldn't tolerate it. Never listen to someone complaining and backstabbing and tearing someone down and never guide them to the steps of Jesus to pursue that person privately and to take care of business. It's never okay to let it go. So now what I wanna do is I wanna speak to three categories in the church. Hopefully you will make up of one of those categories, all of us together. See where you fall. The first one is usually me, peacemakers. At all costs, we're gonna make peace with one another. So we're just gonna listen to everyone vent because we're called to peace. We need to listen to that person. And so we're just gonna let them tell us anything they wanna say about the other person. And then we feel like the Lord has called us to become the mediator and to get in the middle of the ring because we just want peace. We want this person to get along with this person. So maybe I could be God's hands and feet and get in the middle of the ring and bring about peace. What happens is who's the usual person that gets punched in the middle of the ring? It's usually not the offender or the offended. It's usually the person who is trying to make peace that probably shouldn't be in the middle of the ring. Sometimes God calls us to be peacemakers. And if someone comes and complains and starts spreading division, we have a responsibility to get involved, but we don't start getting involved in all that he said, she said. We guide them to the process of Jesus. We have controllers. You don't wanna raise your hand, I know that because you're controlling yourself right now. But we have controllers that they feel like if, if they could just control every situation and everything that happens, that there will be peace. And so what we do is we tend to control other people's situations. And when we see conflict, we get involved because we believe we can put all the pieces together and make it happen. And then what happens is it blows up in your face and we wonder why now they're blaming me for being the fault. And now we have this huge mess. And how did I get involved in the first place? <laughs> and then we have the avoiders. Honey's watching online. Yes, that's you, babe. Yeah, at all costs, these are the people we like to be around because they're the most peaceful and they just don't want division or conflict, so they're always happy. But the problem is with avoiders, when conflict comes, they do whatever they can to not get involved. But the danger is, is when someone is causing division, they say or do nothing to bring about reconciliation. That is as bad as controllers and peacemakers who get involved when they shouldn't get involved. So how do we identify gossip? I know I'm going a little long, but just uh, bear with me for a second. 
because I don't want to continue this message next week. I'd rather get it done with, give it to you, and let God deal with you because he's dealing with me. <laughs> I got enough to deal with, right? So how do we identify gossip? Write these down. Take a picture of this. This is three. Number one, is this information or language that you are using or that you are hearing building someone up or tearing someone down? Very easy. Building someone up, jump on it and rejoice with encouragement and building the body up. Tearing down, you need to jump on it and say, hey, I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not trying to be a party pooper, but it sounds like me, it sounds to me that you've got a situation that you need to work out with that person. Let me know how that goes. And you know what? If they start saying, no, I don't need to, I don't need to work that out with them. Um, you talking about it shows me that you do. And if you don't wanna go to that person privately, you know what? I will see if it's okay. Let, let, I'll, I'll support you. I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll do what I can. But you always pursue that next step in reconciliation. Number two, would you share what you are sharing about the person or the group or the pastor <laughs> if they were in the room? If not, I would really think twice about what you're saying and who you're saying it to. Number three, is it any of your concern? I think we'd solve most of it if we answered this question. Now, let's say we're in a conversation and the person has a lot to vent and they're bringing you into the middle of it. Yeah, now it is your concern. It's not your concern to get wound up in the details and the gossip and the rumors. It's your concern to now make sure that this person takes godly steps to pursue it and you protect the people involved so that it doesn't become this yeast that contaminates the whole batch. But it's not on your shoulders to reconcile. It's just you're on your shoulders to support and to guide. If it's not of any concern to you, I would really strongly encourage myself and us to heed Proverbs 21:23. It says this, watch your tongue, keep your mouth shut, and you will stay out of trouble. However, don't keep your mouth shut. You are also to speak truth in love when someone's out of line because your silence will often condone someone's division. I'm almost done. Now, how do we distinguish processing and venting versus gossip and rumors and division? Because there can be a difference. You do need to process to get the right perspective. You do need to reflect. You do need to pray about it. You do often need someone to talk to. You need a sounding board. So what do we do? Please don't unplug on me. This is almost done, I promise. Four things. Number one is purpose. Say purpose. What is the purpose of you reaching out to someone else to talk about conflict or another person? What's your purpose? If it's reaching out to process and come up with solutions to deal with it in a way that honors God, do it. If it's just to bring assurance to you that you do have an issue with the other person and you are right and validated, um, 
be careful of how you process this. Number two, the person. If you want to reconcile in a way that honors God, then the person you go to should be a person who believes in Christ and honors God. Don't go to a world of people who are lost without Christ because they will give you a whole different set of guidelines. You need to go to people who are God-fearing, who will pray about it, and who will try to help you without getting involved themselves. Preferably, it's someone who doesn't know the other person because you don't want to be a stumbling block and get them involved and start becoming a wedge between them and the other person. Okay? So number three, it all fits together. Protect people involved. Speak in third person. If you're talking about someone in the same church family, you need to say, I have this issue with this person. Now, don't go to describe and link that person because it's like mentioning their name anyways. Imagine this, when people process to handle conflict by protecting the offender. You need to protect that person. Don't cause division in your processing to make things right when you've just now made more mess. The last thing, process versus gossiping, keep it pointed to yourself. Don't focus on what the others are doing. Focus on your heart and your motives and your action steps. Focus on your feelings. They're not right or wrong. It's what you do with them that's right or wrong. And struggles in pursuing conflict and resolution. I would really encourage you to make Christian friends outside of just your local church. It really helps in that because then you're able to process But guys, it is never okay to continue talking about someone else in a manner that tears them down and causes division. It's not okay. And it's not okay to hear people whine and complain about someone else or something that's happening in the church that number one, doesn't concern them. And if it does concern them, why are they concerning you about it? It's not okay. You have to let people and, and, and love them, but guide them to make it right. Yes, I know that's hard, and you may tick someone off, but it's them talking, not you. And you need to lovingly say, I don't know if this is the right place to be talking about it. Have you gone to this person? Have you prayed about it? So as the, the band, Brent and Tiffany, come up, I'd like for all of you to stand. And I'd like to lead you in a response prayer today. I think all of us can relate. I think all of us are feeling that heart surgery take place, and that's good. It's a good thing. But I want us to pray scripture. And so what I've done is I've highlighted the words in yellow that I would love for you to speak loudly together as a prayer. And then we're just going to worship together, and then we're going to move on within our day being peacemakers, right? Goes like this. So read loud and strong the words in yellow, please. Ready? Here we go. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Don't use foul or abusive language. 
Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Get rid of it. Harsh words has no place in the life of a believer. No matter how you justify it, it has no place in the life of a believer. Harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Take this time to respond and get right with God. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.